You're listening to The Uncommon Podcast, where we celebrate the stories of men and women who are living uncommon lives. These individuals pursue excellence and purpose in their relationships and work. They optimize their health and stewardship, and they embody victorious vision and fervent faith. Be inspired and encouraged to follow your own uncommon path and live a life of authenticity, accountability, and adventure. You're listening to The Uncommon Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan. Got another throwback episode for you, a Mining for Time classic. If you listened to previous episode, Who Moved My Cheese? That was an episode from a few years ago from the first podcast I ever started. Not sure about y'all, but I am sure getting a kick out of listening to some of my old podcast episodes. I like to think I've come a long way since then, but I was still putting out some decent pearls of wisdom. So in today's episode, It is entitled, Man Plans and God Laughs. It's been said, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans, but I say nay. Do tell God your plans, your hopes and your dreams, but in humility, start off by saying, if it be God's will, I will do this and that. That's out of James. So I think why I wanted to share this episode, even though the focus of the previous show was on pursuing financial independence, I think especially on our uncommon journey, As we visualize our compelling future, it's important to remember that many are the plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's will that prevails. And just to remember and take take comfort and joy in knowing that God's will is perfect and he knows the plans that he has for you to prosper you, give you hope in a future and not to harm you. So yeah, I think we can come to God in humility and in reverence and just talk to him about our plans, but it should also be through the lens of God, your will is perfect. Like you see the entire course of my life and all of of time and eternity. I don't even know what's going to happen in five minutes. So that should immediately humble us and give us the confidence that we can can just share these things with God. And, and more often than not, it's going to look probably a bit different than we anticipate, but that's a good thing because it just it helps us to continue to be reliant on Him and place our faith in Him. So I hope you enjoy this. Again, excuse the maybe lower quality of audio, but it's all good. The message is still strong. So enjoy and stay uncommon. Welcome, welcome to Mining for Time. My man ain't lying because my name's Ryan and I'm your humble host. Today's episode is entitled Man Plans and God Laughs. We're going to examine the relationship between our plans and God's sovereign will. We'll ask and try to answer questions like, Should I make plans? How much of my destiny do I even control? And if God's will is perfect and unchanging, what does it look like for us to surrender our plans to his will? And one of the biggest questions a Christian should regularly ask is, are my plans aligned with God's will? That's a question that I'm constantly reflecting on, and my life passage of Romans 12, 1 and 2 sheds some light. It says, in view of God's mercy, Offer your bodies to God as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to Him, for this is your true and proper worship. Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be conformed to the renewing of your mind, that you may test and approve of God's good and pleasing and perfect will. Now that last part isn't saying that we get to approve of whether God's will matches with our desires, 
Rather, it is instructing us to exercise sound judgment as we live in obedience to God's law, having our minds renewed and our hearts transformed as we are sanctified or made more like Christ on an ongoing daily basis. And a big part of that is self-denial. So as we look at God's word, it is my intention to show that pursuing financial independence, as with any worthwhile goal in this life, is a possible and God-glorifying endeavor so long as it is pursued with a humble and submissive heart that guards against idolatry. But before we jump in, please join me as I commit our time to the Lord in prayer. So Heavenly Father, thank you for your sovereignty. God, thank you that you know the plans that you have for us to prosper us and give us hope in a future and not to harm us. Lord, I pray that as we unpack the material of this episode and look at your word, that you would illuminate your truth in our hearts and show us where we need to submit our will and our hearts and our desires to your perfect will. And, you know, I thank you that Jesus is the ultimate example of of someone who uh, had everything, but, um, you know, though he was rich, he became poor for for our sake and came to this world um, as in the form of man and, you know, ultimately counted it all as joy to forsake the things of this world um, and to go to the cross, ultimately to lay his life down uh, for us so that we could be forgiven of our sin, set free from the curse of sin and death, and not only be raised to new life in Christ, but also to share in in all of his blessings. And so I just pray that as we um, consider these truths in light of the pursuit of financial independence, that, yeah, our hearts would be very humbled, that we would be willing to submit our plans to you, even to the point of um, giving them up completely, Lord, should you call us to that. And we, we're not trying to claim that the Christian life is one of material wealth, but of, of storing up treasures in heaven. And so let that be on the forefront of our hearts and minds as we plan. And ultimately, we just pray that you would show us how to make plans in a submissive manner that is ultimately for your glory. So we pray this all in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. So if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. This is a quote from movie maker and comedian Woody Allen, who likely borrowed this from an old Yiddish saying that essentially states, we plan and God laughs. The idea being that a sovereign God would find finite man's plans amusing and quote-unquote cute. But is this a biblical depiction of God's character in relation towards us and the plans for our lives? It's no secret that the world has a way of throwing wrenches in our best laid plans. For the past year, I mean, looking at 2020 alone, you know, the coronavirus really turned our world upside down. Uh, In our own nation, tens of thousands of workers were laid off um, as many businesses were forced to close their doors. You know, flatten the curve became, you know, really a buzz phrase that defined culture and social distancing, you know, really reshaped just the structure of our interactions with people as gatherings were widely banned and schools and even cities had to shut down for a time. Also, does anyone have any extra toilet paper? I'm asking for a friend. Just kidding, I've got plenty. 
But uh, personal political views aside, the reality is that none of us actually know how this is all going to play out, when the pandemic will end, and when or even if life will return to normal. God only knows. And in light of the reality in which we live, it's crucial for us as Christ followers to focus on his power to keep us and lead us through these difficult trials, no matter how dark it gets or how long the the journey seems at times. We know that God is faithful. As I've been reflecting specifically on my own financial game plan, I'm convicted by God's word in Proverbs. It says, many are the plans in a man's heart, but is it but it is the Lord's will that prevails. That's Proverbs 19.21. In times of trial and uncertainty, it's crucial to adapt and course correct, or to use a popular word, pivot. To not plan would seem downright negligent. Whether you're a productive, goal-setting person, or a go-with-the-flow type, we all have plans. Whether five-year plans, retirement and investing plans, career plans, weekend plans well-intentioned exercise plans. Many of our plans are currently at a standstill as life seems to have paused in a very real sense. When it comes to our work and our finances, most of us boast about tomorrow, albeit unconsciously, looking forward to what we will do and accomplish and gain. I know I am personally guilty of this, but God offers a somber warning to those whose temporal plans blind them to an eternal reality. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. That is from James 4, 13-17, and that is a powerful and convicting passage. The question of what is your life, you know, that hits me like a punch in the gut. I am uncomfortable reading this passage because it reads me and exposes my sinful desires. A closer look at this passage reveals God's judgment against arrogance, pride, rebellion, and a false sense of immortality. And God straight up calls all this boasting evil. But doesn't this rebuke seem a bit harsh? You know, I've opened up several investing accounts in my days, and each of them had questionnaires to determine my goals and purposes for the account. And I've yet to encounter the question, are you sure you want to proceed with this evil? Now, I'm being facetious here, but I am personally convicted by this passage, particularly the question of what is my life? When I stop to consider God's word, I realize the issue starts with the fact that this life is short. You know, it's here today, gone tomorrow, and it's not even my life anymore. It's God's. And if you don't believe me, let's look at some scripture which supports this. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Romans 14, 7 says, For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Galatians 2, 20 is a well-known verse. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. 
The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. These are just a handful of verses that shed light on the reality that our earthly lives do not belong to us. The common theme of these passages is that those of us who have placed our faith in Christ, we no longer lay claim or possession for our very lives. Rather, our lives have been purchased by the shed blood of our Savior Jesus. Not only do our bodies belong to God, but our present lives and eternal destinies belong to Him as well. So surely our plans then belong to God. As such, while we live on this earth, all of our plans must be aligned with His kingdom's cause and submitted to His perfect will. As Paul says, to live is Christ in Philippians 1.21. This truth has major life-changing implications, um, especially for you know, our financial plans and my, my personal financial plans, which include you know, paying off my student loans, maxing out various pre-tax accounts, saving up roughly 20000 for a down payment on a house in the next few months, you know, saving money for my son's college, and replacing my monthly income with passive income, just to name you know, a few goals. But this world doesn't care about my plans. Disaster strikes, economic downturns hit, and financial woe ensues, and there's nothing I can do to stop it. So what does God think of my plans? In Psalm 37, 13, we read that the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he knows their day is coming. There's that concept again, wickedness or evil. So what do we as Christians do with this? Does God want us to drift through this life, not considering the future or executing any prudent preparations? God laughs at the one whose plans, however righteous, are not submitted to his perfect will. So where do we strike a balance between self-reliant planning and subdued drifting? Personally, I don't think plans are inherently evil. I don't believe God hates all of our plans. What it always comes down to, I think, is our motives. Do I desire to build wealth as a means of building my own earthly kingdom? Or am I motivated to build wealth so that I can invest in God's eternal kingdom? You hear many people in the entrepreneurial sphere talk about their why. And we've talked about it before on this podcast. Why is just a word referring to a person's ultimate motive. For me, I'm working towards financial independence so that I can achieve time freedom. You know, as we talked about, this life is short, and time is what I feel my most invaluable resource and a resource that I can't create more of. So I hope to use this podcast to inspire and encourage others to optimize their lives and utilize financial tactics to glorify God and take back their time as well. When I achieve time freedom, I intend to spend my days with my wife, raising our son, being intimately involved in their lives, you know, serving at my church or with other nonprofits, working on my passions and things that truly fulfill and give me purpose and allow me to help other people. You know, I don't want to leave early for work, return home later exhausted and give my leftovers to being a decent husband and a well-intentioned father. Rather, I want to have a full tank for each and every single day so that at the end of my life, I can look back on a lifetime of memories and not regrets or what-ifs. I believe financial independence is an integral part of achieving that life, and for me, that's my why. But even as I understand and can articulate my why, it still must be submitted to God's perfect will. And, you know, I need to lay it at the altar of His authority and be willing to give it up should He call me to. 
I need to wake up each morning with a humble heart that says, if it's God's will, I will work on this. I will meet with this person. I will go to this place. I will enjoy this experience. I will make these financial transactions and so on. And if it's not the Lord's will and he calls me in the complete opposite direction, then that's just as good. And if he calls me to an entirely different kind of work than what I'm familiar and comfortable with, then I want to look at that as an opportunity to learn and grow. And if God calls me to give some or all of my time, money, and resources away for his cause, then I must be content and have faith in his plan. And as a husband, I must lead my wife in that call as well. As many of us can attest, it's easy to say that our plans are submitted to God until he actually calls us on it. That is when the rubber meets the road, when our faith in God is tested and proven. Having faith in a heart that is submitted to God provides us with a peace that passes all understanding when inevitable change comes. So how do we cultivate a submissive attitude in our planning? The following is a list of some practical ways to plan in a a manner that honors God and is geared towards success. This is by no means an exhaustive list, nor do I claim to have mastered any of these practices. These are simply areas in my own life in which I am still striving to grow. So the first is submit our plans to God's perfect will. All of us have concocted what we were certain was a perfect plan, only to have it backfire on us later. During my first ministry job, I applied for an additional part-time job as a barista at a local coffee shop. I was hired after my initial interview and quickly shared the news with some of my coworkers. I was so proud and excited to have gotten the job and even, to my shame, bragged about having some extra income. So during our staff meeting that week, I shared the news of my part-time job with the group, you know, and asked them to just pray for God's favor as I started the new job. A few minutes later during the meeting, my boss posed a rhetorical question to the group about commitment to the ministry we were working for and how outside distractions would cause him to question an employee's level of dedication. It was a thinly veiled I felt passive-aggressive dig at me, and I suddenly felt ashamed and embarrassed. My boss called me into his office a few hours after that meeting and essentially gave me an ultimatum to either stay with the ministry or go and pursue this coffee thing, as he worded it. He would give me the weekend to decide, and I left that meeting feeling shocked, confused, and pretty hurt. In my mind, my part-time job wasn't going to interfere with my ministry work and in no way did I feel it indicated a lack of commitment. But I wrestled in prayer that entire week, and as I wallowed initially in self-pity, listing to God all the reasons why I thought I was in the right, I was convicted that I hadn't even prayed about my decision to accept the part-time job in the first place. I thought it'd be a fun way to make some extra money, and I just decided to do it, never considering if it was God's will, let alone if it would jeopardize my current full-time job. I continued praying and reflecting on my motives, even daring to ask myself if my boss was right about my level of commitment. Though I hated to admit it, I realized that he was. I realized I wasn't passionate about the work I was doing and that I needed to quit. In a strange way, God used my unsubmissive plan and its consequences to show me it was time for me to leave that job. I didn't want to quit. I had no prospects for another job but I knew it was the right thing to do. I share that story because it's a reminder to me that even the most well-intentioned, innocent plans, when not submitted to God, can wreak havoc on our lives. When we 
are more motivated by money, success, comfort, or self-gratification than we are with pleasing God, we will be led astray by many seemingly good opportunities. But God already has our journey mapped out for us, and he will graciously, even sometimes intensely, steer us back on course. It's an important question to ask yourself. Do I truly believe that God's plans are better than my own? We all love Jeremiah 29:11, taking that as God's personal reassurance that he knows the plans he has for us to bless us and give us hope for the future. But then we go about our lives trying to accept God's blessings while still holding on to our autonomy. Psalm 18:20 tells us that as for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is flawless. We reveal whether or not we believe that God's will is perfect when we either submit our plans to him or choose to do what we please. But the more we allow God to create a submissive heart in us, the more our desires conform to his, and the more natural it is to surrender and delight in his perfect plans for our lives. So number two is plan with humility. Once we have submitted our hearts to God's will, we still need to guard against pride, especially when God allows our plans to succeed. It's fascinating to read of God's relationship with his people in the Old Testament, specifically the Exodus account. We see how God exercises his sovereign will in liberating his people from slavery in Egypt, guiding them miraculously through the Red Sea, then leading and providing for their physical and spiritual needs in the wilderness for 40 years. It even says that their shoes, their sandals didn't wear out that entire time. That's amazing. All the while, the plan was for the Israelites to enter into God's promised land. However, due to their habitual pride and their complaining and disobedience, God's children time and time again forfeited their reward and instead incurred God's wrath and judgment. But did God ever stop meeting their needs? Did he ever abandon them for even for a moment? No and no. But he also did not leave their sin unpunished, even sending venomous snakes at one point to bite the complaining, self-entitled people. It is tragic to see how God constantly provided food, water, protection, guidance, yes, even his own presence, to lead and sustain his children both day and night, and yet they lost sight of what they had in God, and so often fixated on what they lacked, what they felt they deserved, to the point of demanding that Moses lead them back into slavery in Egypt. But I think what is even more tragic is how quickly myself and how we are quickly to judge the Israelites while failing to see how we commit the exact same sin almost daily. Sure, our circumstances look very different from that of the Israelites. We likely aren't wandering in a desolate wasteland, nor have we witnessed the same degree of mighty miracles of God Almighty. But just like the Israelites, we have been delivered from our bondage, led to a good and safe place, and abundantly provided for by God. Yet how quickly do we look around at what we have, then look at what our neighbor has, and with covetousness bubbling up inside, declare, Lord, why have you kept so many good things from me? I know when it comes to my own plans, I often struggle with comparing my career success to that of my seemingly more accomplished peers. I've worked a handful of different jobs since college, and rather than honing in on my calling, I feel like I've just moved on from one job to the next. Now that I've discovered the path of financial independence, it's easy for me to fall into a trap of prideful planning. I'll have thoughts like, if I can just max out all my pre-tax retirement accounts, or if I could achieve a consistent savings rate of 50% or better, or if I could only establish a few thousand dollars of passive monthly income, I, I, I. 
It's easy to forget to even consult God in my plans. And because I'm so busy envisioning the future, I rarely take time to stop and reflect on all of God's past and present goodness towards me. Rather than having an attitude of gratitude, I have a mentality of greed. Instead of focusing on giving first, I'm consumed with acquiring and growing my wealth. But Jesus warned against this kind of prideful planning motivated by greed in Luke 12, the parable of the rich fool. In his parable, Jesus tells the story of a rich man whose land is very productive. Notice that at the beginning of the story, Jesus refers to the protagonist as a rich man. But by the end of the parable, the man's greed and short-sightedness have devolved him into a fool. It's also worth noting that Jesus attributes the man's wealth not to the man's work ethic, but to the land's productiveness. But that's not the rich man's perspective of his position. His natural response to his abundance of goods is not to praise God, but rather to fret over having too little storage and praising himself for his plan to store up security for himself. And from his place of financial strength, he intends not to help those less fortunate or use his wealth to invest in his community or God's kingdom, but rather to eat, drink, and enjoy himself. Jesus then reveals God's less than pleased response to the man's plan. God accuses him of being a fool, telling him that he is going to die that very night and that he will have no say or knowledge of who his wealth will end up to. Jesus says, this is the fate for all who store up treasures for themselves in this life and are not rich towards God. Yikes. This parable really hits home for me, especially as I am pursuing financial independence. If you know even a little bit about FI, then you're likely familiar with the 4% safe withdrawal rule, which basically states that you can withdraw 4% of your portfolio each year in retirement for a comfortable life. You determine your total portfolio amount by dividing your yearly expenses by 0.04. So if your yearly expenses were $30,000 divided by 0.04, then you would need $750,000 to retire. I believe my plan to reach financial independence actually helps guard me from the rich fool's approach to wealth building. Rather than trying to work as much as possible to acquire as much money as possible, I actually have a target amount of what I need. Based on careful budgeting over the years, I understand what my wife and I will need each year in retirement. We have identified a target dollar amount, and from that amount, we're now working on accumulating that amount of assets to essentially provide for our family's needs for the rest of our lives. Additionally, we are mindful of the ever-present enemy of lifestyle creep. As our income will likely increase over the years, we have no intention of living a more expensive lifestyle. We already understand that we have everything and so much more than what we truly need. We don't need fancy cars or hip clothes, lavish vacations, or copious amounts of spending money. We both resonate deeply with Christ's teaching that one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. Rather, our financial goals are to pay off our debt and work towards our fine number. Our plan incorporates regular tithing and almsgiving as God leads us. Our plan is also flexible to whatever unexpected changes will occur. I believe our plan affords us the ability to joyfully be rich towards God. And our plan helps us to guard against pride and self-reliance, but rather to rest in God's provision and his perfect plan for us. It requires humility to admit that you don't know what's best for you. And I don't know what is best for me. 
Oftentimes, loss and trials are what's best for me and for others, because it's at those moments that we more clearly see our desperate need for God. If left to my own plan, I would never consciously choose the door of loss or pain. I would choose the path of least resistance and instant gratification. But praise God that he does not leave me to my own sinful devices. The third way to plan is to plan in remembrance of God's goodness. When it comes to the ongoing health of our financial stewardship, I'm convinced that Deuteronomy chapter 8 is a banner of timeless wisdom and instruction. In this chapter, entitled, Do Not Forget the Lord, Moses is giving the Israelites his final instructions before his death. He reminds the people how God freed them from from slavery in Egypt, led and cared for them in the wilderness, testing and humbling them over 40 years. This caution for the people to remember and worship God, guarding against pride and self-sufficiency as he brings them into the promised land, is a relevant reminder for us today. Moses states, Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in obedience to him and revering him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with brooks, streams, and deep springs gushing out into the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing. When you have eaten and are satisfied, Praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large, and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud, and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You may say to yourself, My power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember, the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth, and so confirms his covenant. Again, that's from Deuteronomy chapter 8, and a great chapter for you to just read regularly throughout your life. If you've read the next few books of the Bible, then you know that the Lord's people fail miserably many times at obeying Moses' instructions. Rather than longing for God's good promises, they long for the foods they enjoyed while slaves. Instead of constantly praising God for his unending goodness, they create and worship a golden calf. Instead of relying on God's power and trusting in his strength to overcome their enemies, they fear men and refuse to enter into God's promised land. Their failure to remember his former goodness prevents them from claiming his present and future promises. And friends, we are no different. We make plans in our own strength and wisdom because we forget about God's faithful provision in our lives. We actually plan out of fear of the future, believing that if we don't control every outcome, then we'll be doomed. We've all heard the saying, failing to plan is planning to fail. While I believe there's some kernel of wisdom here, we also need to guard against placing too much, or really any, emphasis on self. What I mean is that while we are not passive passengers in this life, we are also far from the captains of our own destiny, as our culture would encourage us to view ourselves. Taking time each day to sit in silence and meditate on the goodness of God is the best way to protect our hearts from prideful planning. The more we realize that everything we have and everything we are is owed to God, then the less we'll believe the enemy's lies 
that we must work hard to gain this whole world. And when we fail to give God the glory due his name, we must admit to ourselves and to God that we have gone astray. We must repent and recommit our hearts and plans to our Heavenly Father. When we found ourselves believing that our power and our hands have produced our wealth, we must confess that to God and receive his forgiveness and his mercy. Then we declare the truth that only he can give us the power and ability to produce wealth. And as a result, only he has the right to determine what we do with that wealth. It is true that when a man plans pridefully, God laughs. Not because it's funny, but because it's completely ludicrous. Friends, as we close, may we remember to trust that as we plan from a posture of humble submission, God will smile on our plans as he glorifies himself through their ultimate fulfillment according to his perfect will. So that's all I've got for you guys today. If you haven't yet, please take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe and share how this show has helped you so that we can help many more people. Again, I'm your host, Ryan, saying God bless and mine on. Thank you for listening to The Uncommon Podcast. If you have benefited from our show, I would ask you to follow, rate, and review and share our show. And be sure to check out our website at theuncommon.com where you can learn more about our mission, sign up for one of our live experiences, and take advantage of many resources that will empower you on your uncommon journey.